This is Box to Row with the Radio Boss, the Howard University Radio Network edition. The day of reckoning is coming. Box to Row with the Radio Boss, Donald Ware, brings you conversations with well-known sports, well-known figures. sports figures. The voice of Kevin Durant. You know, it's a joy to go to work and know that they don't cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. Well-known actors. Chadwick Boseman. I had some great teachers. Felicia Rashad was one of my teachers. Musical artists. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Thank you for having me playing in a real way. I mean, I'm so and takes from Donald on some of the hottest topics of the day. Real, relevant, relevant radio. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson. The one and only Jerry Rice. What is going on? She's Simone Biles. It was great. We hope that other young girls and women feel that being strong is so beautiful. The voice of Steph Curry. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college in Davidson. It's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. It's time to Talk the talk with those who walk the walk on Boxster Row with the Radio Boss. This is Radio Boss. As always, thank you for joining me on another edition of the program. We've got a whole lot to get to today here on the show. I'm going to tell you what. I mean, you look at the NBA and the NBA Finals and the Celtics have put themselves in a good position. I mean, I thought, I mean, I really thought that the Warriors would win this series in six. That's obviously not going to happen now. When I look at the Celtics, and the Celtics put themselves in great position after the victory, uh, when you look at that game uh, on Wednesday in game three, put themselves in great position. Yes, the Warriors came around third quarter uh, the Warriors were tough as they always were in the third quarter but n- but the Celtics hung around even though the Warriors took a bit of a lead there at, at one point in the third quarter the Celtics still hung around it wasn't like game one when the Warriors outscored the Celtics 38 to 24 wasn't like that at all the uh, Celtics really hung around and put themselves because to me it, it didn't it, I thought that the the flow of that game in particular, I thought that the Warriors really needed to have needed to have more of a dominating third quarter. Uh, they did not. Uh, they won the quarter, no doubt. But the Celtics hung, hung around, and then, you know, you look at the three stars of the Celtics. Two of the stars are under twenty five years old, and uh, you know, you look at Marcus Smart and what he's able. Has, has been able to accomplish. And then you look at the Warriors. Yeah, you got the big three in the Warriors. You know, I think Poole, Jordan Poole just hasn't been consistent. Klay Thompson clearly isn't the same player. He can still, yet, you know, he can do some things, but he clearly isn't the same dominating player, especially on the deep. I think, I think where the Warriors are getting hurt, not only are the Warriors a, a smaller team than the Lakers and the Warriors are getting hurt right there, but you're also have a situation where your guards, if you're the Warriors from a defensive standpoint, I mean, you can go to work all day. There are mismatches all over the floor for the Celtics. And I think the Celtics have put themselves in a, in a great situation. We've, of course, got game five uh, to contend with on Sunday in Golden in San Francisco. Go back to, to San Francisco. So I think the Celtics are uh, in, in pretty good shape. A whole lot going on in the sports world. A couple of things I want to talk about. 
I want to talk about the Deshaun Watson situation. I want to talk about that and the sexual allegations that he has gotten now from 66 women. Now, there was a New York Times article that came out, and I read the entire article. I heard about the article. I I tried not to listen to any of the commentary before I had a chance to read the article uh, in its entirety, in its context. And I'm going to tell you what, there are some revelations that came out in this particular article. Um, And by the way, when you think about the New York Times, I mean, the New York Times is extremely reputable. So if the New York Times is, I mean, like if the New York Times comes out with an article and the New York Times is saying what it's saying, and I invite you to read the article and I'm going to talk a little bit about some of what was in the article, Uh, you know, the two to me, the two most reputable newspapers that there are around. Uh, And and of course, you're going to have sometimes where listen, the New York Times, I mean, it's been found at times not to be reputable, reputable at all. Right. But generally speaking, and I think with something like this and the thing that made this not only were there 66 women when Originally, over a 17 month period, originally when Deshaun Watson and his lawyer uh, and lawyers said there were less than that, much less than that. Um, but now we've had uh, another woman come forward. Is that now 24 lawsuits against Deshaun Watson? 24 now. And when I read some of the details, I mean, these were graphic. The details a lot of times were graphic in nature. Uh, they, some of them, some of the encounters, I think three of them did actually involve uh, a sexual relationship between Deshaun Watson and the accuser. And, uh, you know, I, I, there weren't any rape allegations, but it did include that. There was a lot of, you know, sexual talk, uh, especially at least in the article. And again, I, I, you know, I am a believer in the system that people should be presumed innocent until found guilty, right? So like, we, you know, Deshaun Watson's got to have his day in court. I mean, he's not going to have his day in court, obviously, because a, now what, what, what helps Deshaun Watson, but I think the system is flawed, even though, I do believe in the system. There's no doubt that the system is flawed because maybe the grand jury was flawed. Uh, you've had Watson. And then, of course, after that, there was with with uh, Deshaun Watson not being indicted. You had a couple of teams, a couple of suitors that came after him. Uh, most notably, the Cleveland Browns able to uh, obtain his services, a $230 million contract all of that money guaranteed and the Browns knowing down ultimately on Deshaun Watson and suspend him, right? Decided, okay, we're only going to make that first year for you $1 million. So Deshaun Watson only going to be paid a million dollars during that first year. Okay. In anticipation of the national football league coming down and suspending Watson. I don't believe, okay, that 24 women are all not telling the truth. I don't believe that. Um, I think something did happen. And, you know, 
again, when this rule, when this rule was implemented by the National Football League in terms of player conduct and players could be suspended if uh, you know if 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 the league uh, determined that they did something that in essence embarrassed the league. Well, I mean, how many games do you think? And I'm going to be interested to see not only how many games Deshaun Watson is ultimately suspended, but I'm also going to be interested to see when the suspensions take place. I mean, some of what I read in this New York Times article was was very bad for Deshaun Watson. Again, a grand jury did decline to indict him, but I, again, I think the system is flawed. I think something did happen. To what degree, I don't know. I mean, you, you could look at it, its basis as a he said, she said kind of situation, but I think it's a little bit more than that, especially when you have 24 women that are coming forward. I don't know exactly what happened, but I mean, I'd be interested to see what happens to Watson in terms of how many games the league suspends him. Okay. Um, And does the league take into account the fact that the Browns structured his contract in such a way that he would, in essence, if he got suspended, lose for this first season, this upcoming season, for however many games, would lose less than a million dollars. Does the league look at that, too, as part of his suspension? Does the league suspend him for a year and a half? Look at Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer, if you followed the baseball situation, the pitcher for the Dodgers accused of, you know, a a lot of sexual uh, misconduct, and that's saying it lightly compared to what I've read. Um suspended two years by Major League Baseball. Now, it's a diff, you know, different uh, in, in terms of the leagues. No question about that. And, and we've seen the league come down soft on uh, on players for sexual misconduct. We've seen the league come down soft on, uh, our, on players for uh, bad behavior. I mean, look at Ray Rice, for instance, especially when the video surfaced. I mean, we've seen the league just not get it right. The league's got to get this one right. And, I mean, again, you know, you can make the argument that what if all of these women are, you know, not telling the truth? I mean, I don't believe that, but let's say, you know, two grand juries decided not to indict. Uh, Maybe the league takes that into account. This situation has continued to get messier and messier. And I thought the whole point of this, what the league implemented some years ago, was you could get suspended for, in essence, embarrassing the league. And this has become an embarrassment. This is an embarrassment uh, to the league. Uh, I don't know what happened. Like, I don't know all of what happened. I I don't know. I Again, I don't believe that all 24 of these women are not telling the truth. I've read some of the deposition it, when when uh, when Deshaun Watson w- was deposed by the accuser's lawyer, and it really, I mean, it really, really, really looks bad. The New York Times did a really good job on this piece in terms of detailing all 66 women. So they basically came out, just give you a little bit of an excerpt uh, uh, to get to the 66 women. 24 have sued him. There's a woman who sued but then withdrew the complaint because of privacy and security concerns. Two women who filed criminal complaints 
against Watson but did not sue him, right? So that's what, 26-27, 15 therapists. And it, and, it, and it gets into this whole thing. Like, why do you need all all of these women are, are, are therapists or supposed to be therapists? 66 different therapists in a 17-month period? Like, it, it, you're, if you're... It, th- this makes Deshaun Watson look terrible. Fifteen therapists who who issue statements of support. Now there are that that have issued support of Watson at the request of his lawyer. You've got four therapists um, uh, that uh, the Message Therapy Group contracted with the Texans. You have, so my point is that the New York Times has broken down all sixty six women and um and 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 accounted, I should say, for all sixty six women. Still to come here on Radio Boss, more on the Deshaun Watson situation. Plus, Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, going to join us, talk NBA Finals and NBA. Plus, we're going to be joined by actress and singer Haley Duff. Plus, I've got some thoughts on some comments from Washington Commanders defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio as they re- he made a comparison between the January 6th riots and the Black Lives Matter civil unrest that took place two years ago after the death of George Floyd. I'm on my own against the wall. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. Hello, this is Janelle Monet. This is Omari Hardwick. Hey, this is Ronda Rousey. The girl rock can the scene of the mic, y'all. This is Simone Biles. You know what this is. This is the one and only Hey y'all, it is the EST of WWE, the strongest, the fastest, the roughest, the toughest, the quickest, the greatest, the best on Box to Row with the Radio Boss. Tune in if you want to catch the best BEST interview ever. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Available in fresh markets in Northern Virginia, Richmond, and Lynchburg at Barrel and Bushel in Tyson's Corner Center, and in Total Wines throughout Virginia. Donald Ware is the radio boss. I'm the, I'm the head honcho. On Box to Row on Sirius XM. Y'all heard, take it from the top. One, two. My mic sound nice, check one. My mic sound nice, check two. My mic sound nice, check three. Are you ready to Tell you what, the, the LA Rams seem to have more money than than they can count. I mean, you know, Aaron Donald gets a big deal. We'll talk about that. Cooper Cup gets an extension. We'll talk about that. You know, are the Rams the team to beat or to repeat as Super Bowl champions? I mean, I guess you would have to say so. Jack Del Rio. So let me talk about Jack Del Rio. If you hadn't heard. A couple of things. First, he called the uh, January 6th riots on the Capitol a dust-up, for which he apologized for. He actually apologized for calling it a dust-up. But he stood behind some comments that he made a little bit earlier in the week. 
and that he posted on Twitter. And this is what he posted on Twitter on Monday. Quote, would love to understand the whole story about why the summer of riots, looting, burning, and the destruction of personal property is never discussed. But this is, and then he says, hashtag common sense. And when he, when he's ta- when he's referring to this, he means the capital riot, the capital riot. So he's so basically what he's doing is saying, well, why are we making such a big deal about the capital, uh, the January sixth riots, and not as big a deal about the looting uh, that happened, the riots, the civil unrest, etc., as it relates or as it related to the murder of George Floyd going back to uh, May of 2020. And, it, and it's interesting because I had heard about this and then I wanted to kind of catch, you know, I always like, as I tell you all the time, I like to catch things in context. So I'd heard about this, but then I went on the uh, commander's YouTube page and he, he talked about it. He actually had a press conference and um, he talked about it and he, he at first said he, you know, he, he kind of didn't really want to talk about it. But then he as they asked him, he said, well, look, I'm going to I'm going to talk about answer football questions. Right. So then he starts answering football questions. Then towards the end, I mean, I think the, the reporters wanted him to before he left, kind of wanted him to talk about, you know, his statements, because I mean, is it just me? Isn't it obvious to you why this is an issue? In terms of what Jack Del Rio is saying now, maybe it's not, you know, I, I felt a certain kind of way, right? When I heard him make these statements, I really felt a certain kind of way when I heard him make these statements. But again, press conference is getting ready to wrap up. He's talking about the defense and what to expect from whom and all those kind of things. And then unsolicited, he says, quote, why are we not looking into those things? If we're going to talk about it, why are we not looking into those things? And again, when he says in this context, when he says those things, he's talking about the civil unrest from two years ago. He goes on to say, I can look at images on the TV. People's livelihoods are being destroyed. Businesses are being burned down. No problem. And then we have a dust up, as I mentioned, he apologized for that, at the Capitol. Nothing burned down. And we're going to make that a major deal. I just think it's kind of two standards. And if we apply the same standard and we're going to be reasonable with each other, let's have a discussion. That's all it was. Let's have a discussion in quote. So there's there's obvious visuals from this, right? Like most of the rioters on the Capitol. And, and, and it, first of all, it's two different things. I mean, that's first of all, you're talking about an insurrection of the Capitol building, as you could call an insurrection to overthrow the government. I mean, if you wanted to look at it, uh, you know, from that vantage point, right? Whereas we're talking about, it's just, it's two different things. But from the visual standpoint, right? I look at the visuals, I see most of the Capitol rioters are white. I look at the uh, civil unrest. I mean, I'm not even going to say, I mean, there were a lot of black folks that were uh, at the unrest. There's a lot of white folks, too, that were doing uh, some of the, you know, committing, per- perpetrating some of the acts with the, 
you know, breaking glass of the businesses and so forth. So I think this is a bad look, an extremely bad look as it relates to Jack Del Rio. The reporters, I mean, came out and asked him, well, look, you've got, you know, I felt a certain kind of way about this situation. And I felt this was a, a, a situation of race. And further, if you're the commanders, you're trying to rebuild your image and all this stuff you've had and all the. Now you've got your defensive coordinator. First of all, why is the defensive coordinator even talking about anything like this? Yes, he has a right to his opinion. He can say what he wants. He's an individual. But to me, he comes off as a selfish ball player because this is an organization that's trying to repair its image. And you come out and make comments like this. We can talk a little bit more about this as the program continues on. Let's continue here on Radio Boss. We're joined by a young lady. You've seen her in TV series such as Seventh Heaven and Lizzie McGuire. You've also seen her in the film Napoleon Dynamite as well as other films. She is the star of the new release, The Wedding Pact 2, The Baby Pact. She is Haley Duff. She joins us here on Radio Boss. Haley, welcome to the program. Hi, how are you? Doing great. You know what? In doing the research, we're going to talk, of course, about um, the baby pack. Now, you did um, Cool G Rap is like one of my favorite artists of all time. And I know you're a singer. So you did a, and I haven't heard this, but you did a line on his um, on his song On the Rise Again. How was that? Uh, a very, very, very long time ago. Yes. So how how was that? Like I never knew that, right? Like we've had, I think we had him on the show a couple of years ago, whatever. But how was that? Uh, it was great. It was uh, one of those things that I was asked to go in and record a line for it, and it was a cool moment for me to get to join on a song with somebody that you know everybody loves and makes awesome music, and it was very flattering for me to get to go do that. And um, so of course I said yes. You know what? You know what? I was enjoying your your cooking show. Uh, are you still doing that? I am not doing my cooking show anymore. No. Wow. No. It was, it was very enjoyable at at the time when uh, when it was on. So, do you have any plans on reviving that? Uh, not not now. No, I don't. I'm um I'm you know living in Austin now, and I've got two kids, and it was just a little bit too much for me with traveling and. My cookie show turned into a travel series, and it was a little much with two little kids to be traveling around. Certainly understand. So the wedding pact to the baby pact, again, it's available for digital release on June the 14th. This is, you know, the sequel to, to the original. Um, you know, talk talk a little bit about that. I, I I think I read where the movie was already, it's already premiered, premiered like last year, but now it's ready for release. Uh, no, the movie has not premiered yet. It uh, it will be available June 14th. Uh, it'll be the first time it's available, the first time anybody gets to see it. It'll be available on video on demand everywhere. And it's a sequel to a movie we did about seven years ago called The Wedding Pact. Um, and most of the original cast is back. We have the addition of a couple new cast members that have um, joined us and just fallen in line with everybody so wonderfully and we're so lucky to have them, and uh, Quentin Aaron joined the cast, and he has just been the loveliest addition, and um, we're just excited that we get to continue this this wonderful story. No doubt. Tell us, you, you play the role of Elizabeth. Tell us sort of about Elizabeth and who she is. 
Well, Elizabeth is a girl who uh, finds herself uh, in high school at graduation in the in the original movie, or in college, um, making a pact with her best friend that if they don't marry somebody in 10 years, they'll find each other and marry each other. And her best friend, you know, takes part. And 10 years later, he goes to find her and marry her. She doesn't remember making the pact. And um, 10 years later, he goes to find her and marry her. And then um, the story sort of picks up from there. And the baby pact picks up another 10 years after that. That the voice of Haley Duff, the movie The Wedding Pact 2, the baby pack available, that is, for digital download on June 14th. She joins us here on Radio Boss. Haley, what do you remember most about those days, you know, specifically on Seventh Heaven, which was a, a good long-running show? Well, one of my first memories of Seventh Heaven, I think, was um, just walking onto the set that first day because I had been such a big fan of the show from the time I was a little girl. And, um, you know, one of our first rehearsals, you know, going into the set and sitting in the Camden's living room and looking around and feeling like I already sort of knew where I was and where I was going because I was so familiar with what their home looked like and what the set of the show looked like because I'd watched the show for so many years. So it was definitely one of those um, sort of strange moments where I walked in and I already sort of felt at home because I was so familiar with the show already. And um, I just remember, you know, it being such a welcoming, wonderful cast and crew. And I, I have such fond memories of that series. I love that show. No question. Last thought. Uh, are you are you a big sports fan? I am. I'm not a huge sports fan. I, I try to um, keep up a little bit with it. But um, don't don't quiz me too hard on anything. <laughs> <laughs> Are you keeping up with like the NBA Finals with the Celtics and the Warriors? Oh, I'm not. No, I'm not. Okay. Why? What's going on? You okay. going to tell me about? Well, no. It's just you know, it's just the NBA Finals. Though those two teams are meeting the Celtics. I don't know if you know, but have a great history and. The Warriors are looking to make make it like four championships in like the last, you know, seven or eight years or so. Oh, wow. Well, that's a pretty big deal. You're like, yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, I have something to tell you about. Just um, the championships. No big deal. <laughs> no problem. It's all good. Well, check her out. The Wedding Pact 2, the baby pact available for digital release June the 14th, starring the one and only Haley Duff, who joins us here on Radio Boss. Haley, appreciate the time. Continued success in all you do. Thank you. You as well. Have a great day. You too, Haley. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, is up next. You've got it locked to the program. We're going to switch gears a little bit, talk some NBA. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, has been covering the NBA for a very, very long time. And one of the things for our new listeners that we also got to put out there. Uh, Mike just has just completed his sixth season as the senior editor of Grind City Media, covers the Memphis Grizzlies. But not only that, Mike is a proud Grambling State alum as he joins us here in the program. What's going on, Mike? Hey, you know that. I'm glad you put that out there for, for sure, man. I'm a proud Grambling State alum. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be covering this league. Uh, for many, many years, man, and we go we go all the way back, man, to, to when we both 
we're uh, scratching around in these small press boxes, man, trying to get our names out there and get to the point where we are now. So it's good to be back with you every time I come on, D. Absolutely. Mike, of course, uh, he's referencing uh, when he was the uh, the beat writer for Florida A&M for the, the Tallahassee Democrat. I was uh, I was in athletic administration at North Carolina A&T, so we do go back a long way. Uh, what it, this series, this series between the Celtics and the um, and the uh, Warriors, where did you where did you see this series playing out? Obviously, the Celtics have you know sort of put themselves in good position, but initially, no matter you know aside of where we are now, how did you foresee this series ultimately playing out before it started? You know, I said from the beginning when the series started that, you know, you're talking about the best defensive team uh, since January. Um, the Boston Celtics were clearly the best defensive team in the league since January, and Golden State was the best offensive team uh, in the league coming through the postseason and coming down the stretch. Um, so you had two marquee teams that did it different ways. Um, they're phenomenal on the wings uh, in terms of the kind of talent that they have with, you know, Tatum and Brown and Marcus Smart on one side and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Clay, Steph, and, and Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and Otto Porter. I mean, you just had tremendous wings um, in this series. Everyone is interchangeable. Everyone switches defensively. Everyone, you know, can, can do a lot of things versatility-wise uh, with the basketball. So you, you looked at these clearly. Th- this is the cream of the crop when you talk about where the league is right now um, from a health standpoint. And both of these teams are pretty much still in their prime. Boston is on the younger end of their prime they're just entering sort of their prime area golden state is on the peak end or or the other side of the mountain now coming off of their prime to a certain extent um and and it's a classic matchup man so i felt like it was going to be a great one um for the most part these games have been compelling and you know i I said it from the beginning i felt like boston was the team that was going to win it in six but my heart was pulling for golden state and that still continues to be the case even as we've reached this stage of the series. No doubt. And you know what the Celtics have been able to do? I mean, I think, you know, I think even if you go back to game, if you go back to game one, I think I thought Golden State ran out of gas. Game three, they maybe not so much, but you saw the Celtics really dig down and dig deep in that fourth quarter, use their size, just really dominating. Um, plus, not only that, you're talking about a much younger team and two guys that are, what, under 25 uh, and then you're talking about a Warriors team, even though it has experience, you're talking about a Warriors team that, you know, where the the prime players have some age on them a little bit, if you will. Yeah, you do. You do. You do. And, and, and but they're still like, you know, the Golden State Warriors, they age well uh, because they shoot the ball so well. Like, you know, I mean, guys continue to get uh, be great shooters well into their 20, late 20s, early 30s and even late 30s. I mean, you know, those guys don't, you know, uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Jason Kidd was a guy that couldn't shoot the ball at all when he first got into the league. I mean, you gave him the 15-foot jumper and, you know, you dared him to shoot. He could do a lot of other things with the ball. But as he became a better shooter, um, he got older and became a better shooter. And and he became a knockdown shooter. And you see that with big guys, too. Patrick couldn't shoot the ball at all, you know, coming out of Georgetown. Then he became one of the best turnaround jump shooters that we've seen in the league. So those are two extreme examples. I'm talking about two of the most elite shooters we've ever seen in this league. So their game ages pretty well. That's why they can open their window a lot longer uh, than some of these other teams that rely solely on athleticism. Um, and, and in Boston, man, these guys have been they, – they've been good a long time. You realize how young they are, but Boston has been in this discussion in the Eastern Conference Finals mix for quite some time. And this was a team that got almost got there, should have got there, you know, years ago when they had 
you know, the young Isaiah Thomas, the, the, the smaller Isaiah Thomas, and then they had Kyrie Irving and couldn't get over the hump. So these guys, Brown and Tatum, have been knocking on the door for a minute, um, and now they're finally looking like they're ready for their breakthrough. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, knows the NBA inside and out. He joins us here on the program as we talk uh, some NBA finals and some NBA. Let's switch gears a little bit, Mike. I want to talk about uh, the hiring of Darvin Ham by the Lakers. You've been covering the league a very long time. First of all, I want to get your thoughts on that hiring. You know, it, it was it was it was surprising in a sense. You know, this was a team that when you stack up. <laughs> You stack up all of these veterans and all of these guys in their late 30s and, and pushing, you know, well past the point of their primes of their careers, and then you bring in a rookie coach. That doesn't seem like a great mix um, to me on the surface. It doesn't seem like, you know, you're giving a guy, you know, you're putting Darvin Ham in a tough, tough, tough situation, uh, especially with so many questions about who's running the front office and how, you know, what kind of influence there is. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it reminds me a lot of, a situation where, you know, David Fisdale, when he first came to Memphis, I mean, it, it sounded well, and he had a lot of these great connections. He was respected. They was, you know, considered a no-nonsense guy, and he, he's a straight shooter. But then when the rubber hit, you know, when the rubber hits the road and, and, and things start getting hot, you know, you got to look around and wonder who's listening to who, and can you command the locker room, and can you command, you know, the attention of your front office and have them respect what you want to do, So and vice versa. Um, this is going to be a tough situation, man. I I don't know if I would have wanted this uh, job, you know, as, as <laughs> if I'm Darvin Ham, but there are only 30 of these jobs in the world. And, and when you have a chance to coach one of the most glamorous franchises that's out there, you don't turn it down because in his case, he had to get, you know, doors closed on him a number of different times before he even got this door open to him. So I'm hoping for the best. I'm, I'm hoping that this is more of a uh, Ime Udoka uh, situation um, where he steps in and has some success with a veteran group, so to speak, and, and had the strong front office behind him, more so than, than some of these other places where I see guys get in there and get run out pretty quickly. How good a job do you think he'll do? I mean, do, and do, have you covered him? Do you Have you talked with him yeah. before? I, I have. I have. As a matter of fact, you know, when you look at him, I mean, this was one of those rugged power forwards, undersized guy that made a living in this league with his toughness and, and being, you know, a, a rugged rebounder and, and a physical player. And, you know, he didn't take any any any, any – and he cried from anyone. And that's how he coached, too. Um, you know, the Grizzlies coach, Taylor Jenkins, was on that staff uh, with Darvin Ham, um, you know, under Mike Budenhoser. Um, so, you know, I, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, when the Grizzlies position opened, um, you know, Darvin Ham was considered a lead assistant in Milwaukee, and the job went to Taylor Jenkins, who was a secondary assistant at the time, uh, behind Darvin Ham. So there was some guys that went ahead of Darvin Ham, uh, and he was in front of the line. So, you know, but he waited his time, and, and he's patient, and he's the kind of player, the coach that players should want to play for. And um, and I think that speaks well for him. Um, it speaks to his credibility and his willingness to learn and lead through listening. And sometimes um, when you're willing to listen to your guys and, and willing to know that it's about the players more so than it's about your style or what you want to do all the time, I think that's a great way for him to get started. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, joins us here on the program. What do you – what do you think he's going to be able to do? What do you make of his comments uh, uh, with respect to Russell Westbrook specifically as a guy that uh, uh, they, you know, I guess he sees as a guy that is going to make more of a commitment to the defensive uh, side of the ball? And, and he's right. He's right. 
But he also came in with respect for Russell Westbrook, too, because he said, listen, this is one of the greatest players of all time. And he's going to go down, you know, in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I'm coaching a guy that, you know, yeah, he's a Mercurial figure, but he's also a guy that, that understands that his legacy is at stake right now. And, and Darvin Ham's primary job is to figure out a way, as long as Russell Westbrook is on that roster, uh, to activate him and to get him back to being an effective basketball player. And how do you do that? You challenge him in ways that, okay, listen, how do you get Russell Westbrook to his best game? His best game is in the open court where he can use what's left of that athleticism and still at an elite level um, and get easy baskets and get into the paint. Uh, you don't want to run a half-court offense with Russell Westbrook. So how do you initiate pace? How do you initiate up-tempo offense? you got to be better on the defensive end. you got to create turnovers, live ball turnovers. you got to be great in the transition game to go from quick defense to quicker offense. And if you can get Russell Westbrook going up and down like that, then you allow him to unlock some of the things that were uh, – you know, that, 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 that made him that, you know, MVP of the league and triple-double king and all of those kind of things that he was just a few ha- handful of years ago. So let me switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about the team you cover, the Grizzlies, who, you know, through four games against the Warriors could have easily been up three games to one. We could easily be talking about the, war, the, uh, the Grizzlies uh, against the Celtics in the NBA Finals what it? What I mean? What are the? Don't Grizzlies? tease me that way, man. Don't tease me like that, man. <laughs> but 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 you know you know what I mean. I mean like they were right there in a lot of games. Probably should have won a lot of those games. But I mean, what do you what do you make uh, or what do you think the Grizzlies need in terms of taking it to that next step, that next level? You know, experience. This was the experience that they needed. They needed to get the experience from a series against a team that's done it before, that won championships. You know, at the end of the day, you look at the Golden State Warriors and you look, you lose to them in six games and you say, you know what, we lo- I lost to a three-time NBA champion, a dynasty, a team that, you know, frankly, <laughs> think about it. John Morant grew up watching Steph Curry play basketball. You know what I'm saying? Golden State was dominating when half the Grizzlies rosters were still in middle school. You know what I mean? And, and, and you know, when they first started making their runs and all of those kind of things in 2015. You know, again, the Grizzlies are the second youngest team in the NBA. You know, only one player on the roster was older than 28. So when you look at the core of the Desmond Baines, the John Morants, the Jaron Jackson Juniors, uh, you know, the, the Zaire Williams, all of these guys are 22, 23, and 20 years old. So you, you subtract six years from that or seven years from that, and you're talking about guys that were just getting to high school when, when Steph Curry and those guys were on the ascent to being a great team. So you lose to a team like that, you're fine. But the question was, what do they need? Experience is the best teacher, a little bit of humility, um, and the fact is you need to be healthy. And, and maybe uh, one more wing player that can get you over the hump uh, from a defensive standpoint. And if you could do that, and those are all things that the Grizzlies have within their reach. They're well positioned in the salary cap. They have two first-round picks this year, another two next year, um, and they have their best three players all under contract, under rookie-scale contracts. So they have everything lined up to get even better next year if they can avoid any kind of setback with an injury. So they'll be there. They're they're about two years ahead of schedule right now, and that gives them the hunger to want to get right back to where they were, and that was just one step away from the Western Conference Finals. Check out his great work at grindcitymedia.com. Also follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. He is Mike Wallace. He is the senior editor of Grind City Media, joins us here on the program. Mike, appreciate the time, man. Uh, you know, I guess you don't really have any much time off, but 
Uh, seemed like you're getting off a little bit earlier these days, so kind of enjoy that, man, and we'll talk with you real soon. All right. Thanks a lot, man. I definitely appreciate it, D. We've got more of the program on the other side. Missed any of our shows? How about our interview with top sports and entertainment figures? Check out Radio Boss, Radio Boss Podcast at radio-boss.com. Attention, those of you looking to go on a fun vacation and see the world on the cheap. Today, the U.S. dollar is worth even more in other countries, so there's never been a better time to travel outside the USA. The dollar is worth over $1.30 in Canadian dollars, and it's the same for Australia. You can fly there today and have fun and maximize your travel dollar. Your U.S. dollar is worth over $3 in Brazilian reals, and it's worth over $18 in Mexican pesos. Plus, in Argentina, it's worth over $27 in Argentine pesos. Just think of the bargains you'll get. And the way you get the cheapest airfare to any destination is by calling Tickets That Cheap. Save up to 75% on your foreign vacation tickets. Don't wait. Call now. 802-317-1987. 802-317-1987. 802-317-1987. That's 802-317-1987. Donald Ware. It's Donald Ware. Radio Boss. Sirius XM. Welcome back to the program. We've got a pivotal game five on Monday in San Francisco as the Warriors will host the Celtics. You know, I'd be interested to see the what the numbers look like in terms of the number of viewers for game four between the Warriors and the Celtics. It was a Friday night game. I, I don't I just don't like that scheduling. I don't like the NBA scheduling of the finals. I mean, I'm okay with more than a day in between games. But I mean, the, the, the schedule went, we went from last Thursday to Sunday to Wednesday, Friday. I mean, why not have gone Sunday Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, or Tuesday. I mean, you don't have to have two games in between each game, but I mean, I just don't I just don't know if a Friday night is like is that a great night? I mean, if you want the casual fan, like the hardcore fans going to sit back and watch the game, no doubt about it. But the casual fan, Friday night, you know, we're we're still in the midst of a pandemic, but we're kind of coming out of it, plus it's Really nice. It's warm outside in most places, so you have that outside activity where you can do things outside. I mean, do we really want to have games uh, on Friday? Uh, But anyway, it is what it is, and we'll see ultimately what happens on Monday. I really like. I really like the way. I mean, the Celtics are in good position, obviously, and I like the way that the Celtics have played. Um, I think Tatum hasn't been as consistent as you would like for him to have been. I mean, I, ha- I thought he had a solid, you know, game three on Wednesday. But I, I look at Jalen Brown. He's been absolutely steady. Marcus Smart has been good. And as I mentioned earlier, you have a situation where you, not only do you have a, in, in, in talking with Mike Wallace, you have a younger Celtics team. I mean, you've got that experience. Like, it, it's hard to trump experience, and the Warriors definitely have the experience, but you get in that latter part of the game, you know, Jordan Poole hasn't been as consistent. 
I mean, when I really think about it, I mean, if you know, I like Otto Porter. I mean, I think he hit some big shots. I mean, I like Andrew Wiggins. I like his game. I mean, you'd like for him to be a little bit more consistent, but he's a he's a guy that's younger and he can play. He can get you baskets. He's going to knock down the open shot from outside, and he's going to play a little bit of D. The problem for the Warriors is you have guys – uh, that uh, the, the Warriors' size is an issue. Again, you have a Klay Thompson who's not the Klay Thompson that we knew from several years ago. You have a Steph Curry, while he's a willing defender and a better defender than we've seen him in the past. I mean, at the end of the day, he's still not a great defender. He's still undersized. I mean, Marcus Smart can take him. Uh, I'm not going to say whenever he wants, but Marcus Smart can take him, post him, certainly there's no guarding Brown or Tatum. Plus, you look at a, 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 a you know, I mean, I, I, you know, you could look really if you look at Brown and Tatum, they're both interchangeable in terms of that two, three. Either way, I mean, that's a that's a tough guard for Curry. It, it's a it, it's a better guard, I think, for Clay Thompson. But Clay Thompson's got to be a little bit smarter, which he is. Uh, I just mean, generally speaking, he has to be because the physical attributes that Thompson had going back a couple of years ago as one of the better two-way players in the league is just not there. Um, Then I look at it from an offensive standpoint, uh, especially for Thompson. He's a guy that when I look at and think about Klay Thompson, to me, Thompson's jumper, Thompson's jump shot is as pure as, as Steph Curry's jump shot is. Now, you look at Curry, he can hit from long distances. You uh, remember going back to game two, that crazy shot he hit from like the sideline at the uh, Warriors bench. I mean, it was just, I mean, his range is unbelievable. But when you talk about pound for pound pureness of a jump shot, uh, and especially jumpers that are, are let's say, uh, the three-point line in. I mean, Curry's as pure. But again, you know, I, I'm, I can't really say that Thompson can't get his own shot because I've seen flashes in this series where he certainly can. But he, but again, because of the injury, and, and listen, it takes a, it takes some time to come back, you know, from this injury. He's had a couple of injuries over the last, you know, two and a half years or so. And so it's definitely going to take him some time to come back. I think we'll see Thompson a little bit better. But, again, he's going to be a year older. But then, again, you know, he's not terribly old. So, you know, he just needs a year to really, really be able to come back and be the Clay Thompson that we knew him once to be. I just think that it's an uphill battle for the Warriors, even though the game is in San Francisco on Monday. I get that. I think it's still going to be a, a bit of an uphill battle um, you know, I thought coming into this series that it definitely was going to be the Warriors in six. Uh, what a, you know, what a, what a surprise. I think the outcome of game one wasn't the surprise. It was the fact that the Warriors were blowing the Celtics out 38 to 24 third quarter run. And then in the fourth quarter, tired out. I mean, that's not to take anything away from the Celtics and what the Celtics were able to do both from an offensive and a defensive standpoint in game one. It's just that in p- part of the, the narrative for that and the 40-16 to 16 outscoring of 
the Celtics by the Warriors in that fourth quarter in game one. A lot of that, I think, was because the, the, the Warriors ultimately got tired. Um, man, I you know, if I have to give a prediction for game five, um, going back to San Francisco, I mean, I think I'm going to go with the Warriors. I think the Warriors are going to find a way to be able to pull it out and get that victory. I want to switch gears, talk a little National Football League, and more specifically, talk about the L.A. Rams. Now, the Rams are all in, obviously, right? It's a win-now mentality because you look at the you, you look at your three biggest contracts, and you, you know the Rams were fortunate to be able to get Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, on the contract that they got him on. He ultimately gets hurt in the Super Bowl, uh, goes out. He has yet to resign. He may not resign, but I mean, I think when you look at the Rams, you know, you go out and get Allen Robinson. You've got Cooper Cup. I mean, you've got Matt Stafford. I mean, you look at these the four big contracts, and and five really. If you look at the at the Rams, you look at Aaron Donald, who signed a little bit um, signed last week, um, got the in excess of thirty million dollars, big contract, and deservedly so. Listen, if you're the Rams, you have to pay Aaron Donald. Not only is he the best defensive player in the National Football League and one of the best players overall in the league. I know we tend to look at quarterbacks as the best players in the league, but not only is he's one of the best players in the league, and if it were not for him, being able to get that sack of Burrow late in the game against Cincinnati, I mean, Cincinnati had, what, gone three straight plays, was marching down the field, and you needed Aaron Donald to come through and make a play, and ultimately Donald made the play. You had to pay him. They paid him in excess of the $30 million a year. He's the highest-paid non-quarterback in the history of the National Football League. You know, of course, as we, excuse me, as we stand right now, and he definitely had to be paid. You also had to pay Cooper Cup, and they're paying him for down the road too. So you're looking at the Rams looking in the next couple of years and and remember that tv money kicks in where the salary cap is going to go up next year as well so i mean the the and 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 you know the rams have you know have the revenue are going to have the revenue to be able to do it but it's not going to be for an extended amount of time it's going to be within a short window uh three or four i mean i say short window and short is relative maybe a three or four year period where the Rams are going to be able to, you know, try to make multiple Super Bowl runs. So big deal for Cooper Cup to to get re-signed, um, and it's a it's it's something that you know if you're the Rams, you 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 had to get this contract done for Cooper Cup. You don't want him to, you know, to 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 kind of linger out there. Want him to, you know, be content and so. Uh, this, the Rams are making a power play. Again, it goes back to the question I asked in the first segment. I want to get your thoughts on this. Do Are the Rams now the favorite to repeat as Super Bowl champions? I mean, I think you would have to say coming in that the Rams are. But, I mean, I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to look at, you know, I'm going to look at the Buccaneers. I'm going to look at also the uh, Packers 
as well. I think the Packers are going to be fine. Yes, no Devontae Adams. Uh, the, the problem with the Packers is the Packers just, and Aaron Rodgers more specifically, not able to get over the hump in postseason play the last three years. You go out in what amounted to the for the Packers as the first round of the playoffs because, remember, the Packers had a bye. So what is that? The divisional round, I guess, is where the Packers went out. And then the two previous years went out in the NFC Championship game. That's got to change. Regular season, no doubt. you got to look at the talent of the Packers. The offense is, the, the defense is going to be really good once again. That's a team that's going to be good regular season. The question for the Packers becomes, what are you going to do in the playoffs? I look at the Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers are going to be really, really good this year. Um, will the Cowboys make a run? I, I don't. I mean, it seems like the Cowboys should make a run. Um, they, the Cowboys have the talent to make the run. There's no question about that. But the Cowboys seem to, for the last couple of years, seem to have had the talent to make the run. Less the year, of course, Dak Prescott. And even that year, it looked like they could have, some good things could have happened. But, you know, Dak Prescott got hurt and that derailed all of the Cowboys' um, uh, momentum and possibility of being able to make uh, a run. Listen, I'm a Commanders fan. I don't know that the Commanders, I, I, you know, they can't be a favorite. Like, I'm not going to sit there and put them as a favorite. I mean, wh what's the 49ers? I, I like the Commanders, though. But what about the 49ers? Could the 49ers make a run? Is it going to be Jimmy Garoppolo uh, at the quarterback? Uh, we'll ultimately see. But I think you have to say that the Rams right now are the favorites to repeat as Super Bowl champions. I got to get ready to run here on Radio Boss. Thank you to Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. Thank you to actress, singer Haley Duff for joining us today here on Radio Boss. For more information on the program, if you've missed any of our shows, our great conversations, log on to our website, radio-boss.com. And always remember to support those that support you. Radio Boss is produced by DW Communications. You have been listening to Box to Row with the Radio Boss, the Howard University Radio Network edition. In a little tent, oh, and just like the river I've been running, ever since, it's been a long, a long time coming, but I know change gonna come oh yes it will it's been too